calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Realm presents Dark Heights Season 2, Episode 4. Tess. I couldn't sleep anymore. It felt like as soon as my eyes closed, I immediately woke up in a panic, the bed sheets soaked in sweat, my head spinning with vertigo, like being hammered at the end of a long night of drinking. Even after it passed, I thought I could hear Lina's muffled screams coming up from below the mansion, vibrating through the walls, the floor, as if arson had been built to suppress her screams while drawing power from her suffering. The bracelet, the Euroboros, it hurt. It was something else that kept me awake, a perpetual discomfort, too tight, then suddenly too loose, slipping up to my wrist only to clamp down suddenly there. Sometimes it burned me. The pain brought me to tears. I clawed at it until blood came out under my fingernails. Every day, I went down into that labyrinth beneath Arson. I took the turns, left, straight, left, then right, and I went into that room. I watched as Tenebrae tortured Lina. The bracelet writhed on my arm, and the pain it caused me was the only thing I felt. Nine days now since I'd gone down there the first time. I was awake. It was the middle of the night again. At the bedside vanity, there was always a bowl of warm water, constantly refreshed by the mansion staff. I splashed the water onto my face and let it trickle back down into the bowl. A drip, drip, drip that slowed down, then stopped. In the vanity's mirror, I was an apparition. Black hair, white face. I didn't recognize myself. Whatever was left of the person beneath that mask was dying incrementally, slowly, in silence. I went to the bedroom's walk-in closet. They had brought all my clothes from home. How considerate. For a long time, I couldn't get dressed. 
When I grew tired of standing there, I lay down in the closet. Could be I slept there for a few minutes. Only when I grew hungry enough did I put on some clothes, didn't matter to me what, and go down to the kitchen. Another roast beef sandwich was calling my name. Will was there. Not waiting for me, he was face first into a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios, chowing down. Sometimes these watchers seemed so human. He saw me. Wordlessly, he put down the bowl. A line of milk dripped from his chin. There was a roaring in my ears. I went right up to him and slapped his face as hard as I could. I had no control over it. My hand made a meaty sound when it connected, more like a punch than a slap. His head snapped around. Do you know what they're doing to her? Slowly, he turned his head back toward me. I know. She's your sister, isn't she? Don't you give a fuck? What do you think I can do about it? Fight them! All at once, the anger seemed to rush out of me. I said it again, but now it sounded like a defeat. Fight them! Tess, he said. Don't say anything to me. I'm sorry. Don't say it. I didn't want this to happen to you. I need you to know that. I stared at him. I don't care what you need. I need a sandwich. I went into the fridge and took one out, unwrapped it from the brown butcher's paper, got it onto a plate, but I couldn't eat it. Seeing Will had taken away my appetite. He hadn't left, hadn't moved much at all, wasn't watching me, just hanging his head there like a sad, bad puppy. I hated him. That was the only thing in my heart at that moment. You're keeping me prisoner here, just as much as your dad is, or Kismet, or Tenebrae. I'm here because of you. No, that's not true. Then do something about it! For fuck's sake, Will, help me! I stopped myself from saying please, but I would have begged him, if I'd thought it would work. I would have got down on my knees. The look on his face was genuine. Conflict, consternation, anguish even. Or maybe it was a very good watcher's facsimile of human emotion. I didn't know for sure. I have to be careful. Then be careful. You don't understand. The Watchers are all connected. We're aware of one another at all times. I can't... I just can't do whatever I want without planning and forethought. So your dad knows what we're talking about right now? Not exactly. He knows I'm awake. He knows more or less where I am. If he chose to look in upon me right now, he would see you here with me. He would feel the things that both of us are feeling. It's the same for the others. And you can do that to them too? He frowned. I'm not that good at it. Right. So you're useless then? Not exactly. When we were kids, Lina learned how to do this thing, and she taught me. We used to experiment with it all the time. We can shield ourselves from the connection. We can block it. I think the other Watchers do it too. They pretend to be a unified front, but there's something between them called the argument. They all have their own agendas around it. So Marius looks for you through this connection, but you're blocking it. Will said, like right now, I'm blocking it right now. Won't he know you're up to something? That's Lina's trick. She learned how to freeze it in place, 
Like in a movie when someone feeds a loop into a security camera, they don't know what we're doing because it looks to them like we're doing nothing much at all. Then do your blocking thing and let's go get Lina out of the dungeon and all three of us can get the fuck out of here. He shook his head. I can't keep it up long enough. And Lina, they've been taking away all of her power. When they're through with her, she won't be able to do anything. But it doesn't even matter. Think about it. Where would we go, Lina and me? We can't ever leave here. They'll always know where we are. He didn't have to say, and you too, you're here forever with us, Tess. Better make yourself comfortable. I have an idea, though. Like I said, I have to be careful, but maybe I can find the warlock. He was there at nightfall. I met him, Gabriel Majot. She was his student. There's something meaningful that I don't understand between the two of them. I think he'll help us. All at once, he slumped down against the edge of the kitchen table, expelling a breath as if he'd been holding it for hours. That's it. I can't shield us anymore. We didn't say anything more. Will held my gaze. Then he nodded his head slowly. Yes, he was going to help me. Yes, he would do what he could. I took the sandwich on the plate back up to my bedroom. I didn't trust Will. Not at all. Was there any truth to any of what he'd said? There was no way I could place my faith in him. After a mostly sleepless night, in the morning hours, I went for a walk, out on the estate. It was colder outside than I thought, and I had to go back up to my room for a heavier coat. I walked down from the mansion across the lawns. There were the woods off to my right as I made my way to the fountain, the parking lot, the front gate of the estate. Almost three weeks now since everyone from Park Heights had been here that night. I hoped my mom was okay. I hoped she was steady on her meds. Her doctors never seemed to have the dosages right. I wasn't going to be there to advocate for her. And what about Kevin? Did he imagine me just chilling out here with the Severins, enjoying being waited on by the mansion staff, drinking champagne, getting massages? Maybe the Watchers would let me see them all again if I played along, if I proved to them that I was a good girl. I approached the exit of the estate, Summit Drive was right there on the other side of the fence. Next to the gatehouse, three of the Severin's black Mercedes limousines awaited their summons. This was a walk I'd been repeating for a few days now. It was becoming a ritual, and when I came up to the gatehouse, Hank came out of it. Part of the ritual. He lit up a cigarette. We shared it. Neither of us said anything. His black eye was healing. Every time I saw it, I wanted to ask him who had given it to him. This was part of the Watcher's story about how things had happened at nightfall. The man from the woods had punched Hank in the face, kicked him in the ribs when he was down, then stolen one of the cars. All of it, of course, a complete fabrication. Had Marius made someone else punch Hank in the face, or had he just flicked his little finger and delivered the blow? Hank shifted looking through the black wrought iron bars of the front gate. He said, Someone's out there. Who is that? I left Frank standing there, moving closer to the inside of the gate. It was Charlie Mill. 
He was there on the other side, holding onto the handlebar of his BMX bike with one hand. His other hand gripped one of the gate's iron bars. His shiny blue luchador wrestler's mask covered his face, but his eyes met mine. There was a sadness in them I would not know how to describe. I didn't trust that I wasn't being watched, and not just by Hank. In fact, Hank went back into the gatehouse, as if to give me privacy, or the illusion of a privacy I knew I didn't have. Charlie pressed himself into the gate. He reached through it, toward me, with one hand. I went closer. He took my hand in his and held it, squeezed it. I cried harder than I had since waking up in arson after nightfall, a torrent that just came out of me. Charlie held my hand the whole time. I couldn't ask him for help. I couldn't ever ask anyone. There was no way I would ever expose another person to the Severans. I knew that now, with Charlie standing there, holding my hand. There really was no going back to my life. Had I wasted it? I could have been better than I was. I could have been a better friend. Instead, I had always tried to be different from everyone else around me, always judging other people in order to make me feel worth something. But I'd only been isolating myself. Then I met gods. It was their judgment of me that mattered now. Maybe if they were watching me in this moment, the fact that I didn't say anything to Charlie would be proof I was being good, I was following the rules. That's what I had to think about from now on. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Charlie removed his hand from mine. I heard him say something. His voice was a slurred, difficult, painful thing to hear, but he said the words distinctly. Bye-bye. Suddenly, I was aware that he wasn't alone. Charlie had turned away from the gate, walking with his BMX, but someone was there, standing well back from the gate as if trying to avoid being seen. Someone was waiting for him. I strained against the bars of the gate to get a better look. Was it Kevin? I wanted so much for it to be Kevin. But no. The person moved just into the edge of my vision when Charlie approached. I'd never seen them before. It was someone very tall. They were wearing a long, dark winter coat. I thought I saw a strange white face with flashing eyes, a face framed in wild, greasy black hair. Then Charlie was gone alongside whoever had been with him. I was at a loss to say who it was. I didn't go back up to the mansion right away. What was the point? Instead, I went to the fountain and sat there in silence for as long as I could stand it. The chubby cherub continued to blow its horn, oblivious. The water in the fountain was so flat and calm, it looked like a solid surface. At nightfall, it had been black as oil, and kismet had risen out of it. 
I put my hand into the water, fingers first, feeling the cold on my skin, then pushed it in, up to the wrist. If you want to, you may kill yourself. There was movement in my peripheral vision. Two people were walking in my direction across the lawns. One of them was Marius, and the other... It wasn't until he drew closer that I recognized him. He was wearing the same suit he'd had on in Green Machine when I talked to him and his partner, Agent Priya Mehta. The Watcher and the FBI agent came up to me. Marius said, May I introduce Agent Juan Garcia Madero? We've met before. What's going on? Marius glanced at the front gate apprehensively. Unexpected guests. My heart leapt. For a moment, I thought he was talking about Charlie Mill. I wasn't going to be able to bear it if something happened to Charlie. Then Marius continued. Sheriff Dove is bringing Jason Price to see you. I don't know who Jason Price is. Agent Madero said. He's Zag Price's older brother. Oh, wow. Oh, hell. I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't know what to think. Madero continued. So far, we've been able to manage the flow of information about that night, Miss Bellamy. But Zack's brother has been staying in Park Heights, asking questions. Marius said, It's not a bad idea to have this meeting, Tess. You've sufficiently recovered from that night to be able to have a visitor now. And your behavior here has been exemplary. Except I know that you're torturing your daughter, and you know that I know. Clearly, Jason needs to speak with you about Zack, about what happened. This will be an opportunity for you to put his mind at ease. Marius didn't have to tell me that every word I said to Zack's brother would be monitored. He didn't have to say out loud that this was an early test of my loyalty to the Watchers. I'll do all that I can. Because I'm fully obedient and compliant. And right at that moment, a police cruiser slowed and turned into the approach outside the front gate. Hank went out of the guardhouse to meet it. The front gates buzzed open and the police cruiser rolled in. Maggie Dove emerged from the driver's side. Sheriff Dove was pretty famous around Park Heights for her frankly ridiculous white cowboy hat, how tall she was, how much she interfered in people's business when there was no reason to do so, and how absent she was when there was literal, actual trouble. Maggie Dove knew all about me. I'd gone to school with her daughter, Rory. I was fairly certain she had no clue about any of this. Marius moved to shake her hand. Sheriff Dove, we weren't anticipating an appointment with you. I beg your pardon, but it kind of looks like you were. She took in the FBI agent's presence. Always a pleasure to see you, Agent Madero. Thank you again for assisting us in this matter. Don't mention it. It's not every day I get to work with the FBI, especially on something so straightforward, like this accident. Then she turned to me, taking a long look, searching my eyes. The moment stretched out awkwardly. And how are you doing, Tess? I'm better. Zack's brother had come out of the passenger side of the police cruiser. He waited there while the pleasantries went on. He didn't seem all that sure of himself. 
There was a restlessness about him, a more than five o'clock shadow along his jawline. His hair was tousled, messy. He ran one hand through it to smooth it out. The gesture was an echo of the same thing Zack had always done, brushing his hair back out of his eyes. Finally, Zack's brother walked around the car and came toward us. Marius bowed to him in a surprising show of deference. Jason, once again, let me say how sorry I am for your loss. Thank you, Mr. Severand, and thank you for coming to the funeral. Please say thank you to Will and Lina for coming, too. I don't know why, but it stunned me to think that there'd been a funeral for Zack. They'd let Lina go to it, but not me. Of course there'd been a funeral. The world outside of Arson still existed, was still going on, without me in it. Marius said, If there is anything you need, please ask. Our resources are at your disposal. Dove took over. Might as well cut to the chase. If you feel up to it, Tess, Jason and I would appreciate it if we could go for a walk together. Talk over a few things? I nodded. I didn't want to betray anything in front of Marius, but this was making me nervous. Suddenly, Jason spoke up. Actually, Sheriff, if you don't mind, I think I'd like to talk to Tess without, you know, the police presence. No offense. Dove looked at Jason as if he'd stabbed her in the back. None taken. Marius said, Maggie, why don't you join us for some coffee in the main house? Dove looked at me as if I was hiding something, which of course I was. Then she just shrugged. I guess so. Wouldn't be the worst thing. Dove and Agent Madero and Marius started out across the grass back to the mansion. Jason Price just stood there, suddenly alone with me. He was trying not to stare at me. There was already so much that was unspoken between us. Then he got right to it. The sheriff said she didn't give you an interview about the accident. She said Agent Madero took your statement. Yeah, I said half-heartedly. I had no memory at all of giving Madero any kind of statement. And I read it, the statement. Okay. I mean, it must have been awful. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I'm sorry that I killed your brother when I asked him to take me back to nightfall. I sat back down on the lip of the fountain. Jason sat down next to me, keeping a discreet distance between us. I met his eyes. Pale gray, almost blue. Zack's eyes had been brown. At Crazy's, on the night when we talked in the booth, Zack had looked at me in exactly the same way, with the same curiosity, the same interest, the same guarded warmth. This was already so hard. Zack and I only went on one date, I declared suddenly, cutting across whatever he had been about to say. I plowed on ahead. It didn't really work out, the date, but I... I liked him. The night of the accident, he was helping me. Jason took in a deep breath to steady himself. Driving you back here. And that's when there was a stalker who stole one of the Severin's cars, lost control of it, then hit you and Zack. 
He looked at me to see what my response was to this retelling of the story that Marius had fabricated. I didn't give him anything. Is that really what happened, Tess? I made myself feel angry, and I made myself show it. Of course. What the fuck are you implying? His look of shock was almost comical. Oh, God, no, I'm not implying anything. I just want to understand it. That's why I'm here. I want to understand what happened. I turned my face away, needed to shut this down. It was an accident. Yet he persisted. It was odd, but it felt like he was working up to tell me something. I could see his indecision about it. And then he just went for it. I guess there wasn't much for him to lose. This is going to sound really strange. I was actually in Rome, of all places, when I found out about Zach, about what had happened. Rome. I took this year off law school to go backpacking in Europe. When my mom called my phone, well, I was in this piazza in Rome. Piazza Navona. They were showing a movie outdoors with this big crowd there, like it was something they showed once a year, I don't know. This famous horror movie called Incantation. I turned back to face him. No wonder he'd been staring at me so strangely from the sheriff's car, hesitant to come over. He hadn't known if he wanted to tell me this or not. My mom is in that movie. Barbara Bellamy? That's insane. Well, not really, to me, just my mom. I thought for a moment you actually were her. Standing there with Marius Severand, I thought you actually were Barbara Bellamy from Incantation. When the sheriff drove up and stopped the car, you did look confused. I don't know what to make of it. I'm watching that movie in Rome when my mom calls, and Zach was in the car with you when... when the accident happened. Just a weird coincidence. But there was a kind of light in his gray eyes. It meant something to him, the coincidence. It bothered him, like he was figuring out that something was going on with me, too. I decided to end this encounter. Jason needed to leave Park Heights. He needed to stop asking questions. He needed to get as far away from arson as he could. I don't have anything else to tell you. His expression changed, as if he knew I was lying. And I don't feel well. I want to go back to the house. Okay. Let's walk to the gatehouse. Hank will call the mansion for us. Okay. He said again. But he wasn't finished. I feel like I'm still looking out for him. For Zach. Like I did when we were kids. I don't know why, but other kids always picked on him. There were always bullies. It's why he moved schools. My parents couldn't afford something like the private academy in Bel Air that Will goes to. But my dad worked for Marius Severand at the time. All of a sudden, Zach was enrolled in that school, and his tuition was paid in full. In a way, all of this, this wealth on display, I blame all of it for what happened to him. And I don't know how long you're staying here, but I get the sense that maybe it isn't good for you either. I hope you don't think less of me for saying it. You don't know how right you are. And you won't ever know. It was a sudden thing, and it was out of nowhere, but a thought hit me right then. Jason was beautiful, wasn't he? He was good, 
and he was noble. His light gray eyes, almost blue, were intelligent. They were kind. All I saw there in that moment was his concern for me. I struggled not to picture him rescuing kittens from trees, lifting cars off grandmothers. We had made it to the gatehouse. Inside, Hank lifted the phone and spoke a few words. Then he came out and lit up a cigarette. Jason turned to me and said, maybe we could meet for a coffee sometime. I was shaking my head before I could stop myself. I don't think so. You don't want to, or you can't? Both, and I have to go. But I'm glad we met. Yeah, me too. Without another word, I turned and left, starting my walk back to the mansion. Like Charlie Mills said, bye-bye. You're listening to Dark Heights Season 2. Dark Heights is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Dark Heights is created and written by C.D. Miller. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, and Julian Yap. Starring Dion Graham, Julia Whalen, and Neil Helligers. Sound design, editing, mixing, and mastering by Kaylin West. Original music by Chris Miller. Music supervision by Marcus Bagala. Production manager, Alexis Latshaw. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Find more shows like Dark Heights by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.